Welcome to Street Talk, S&P Global Market Intelligence podcast that offers listeners a deep dive into issues facing financial institutions and the investment community. From S&P Global Market Intelligence, I'm Nathan Stovall, and today we're talking about banks' third quarter earnings season with Jeff Davis, the Managing Director of Mercer Capital's Financial Institutions Group. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Glad, glad to do so. Thanks for inviting me. You know, Jeff, I, I don't know how many earnings seasons this has been for me, but I mean, I know it's been even more from you. And, you know, I always start with any sort of, after we've had a couple of weeks, with the first point of, you know, how did it stack up compared to what we, we thought it was going to be? Uh, and, and I guess sort of put it differently in your eyes, you know, were, were there any really big surprises uh, from, from earnings season thus far from the group? Uh, no, Nathan, not really from my perspective. There may have been a company here or there that were that was somewhat of a surprise, but I would describe the results as being in line to maybe a little bit better. And uh, so, in, and we're at the point in the credit cycle where credit is quiet, and because banks are levered entities with their equity levered. Oh, uh, 10, 12, 13 to 1, and much of that leverage used to fund loans. Um, you know, credit surprises can have a lot of nasty permutations and, and that create fireworks in a, in a quarterly earnings report. And that's just not where we are in the cycle today. Right. That's, that's, that's what's going to cause the big swings. And I mean, you know, we, we really haven't seen you know, anything like that. I mean, one one of the conversations we've been having is looking for cracks, you know, in the armor, so to speak. But, you know, I was really struck. I don't think anybody was expecting big blips, but uh, I, I was really struck by the fact that it seems like across the board credit just got better, you know, even with the, the hurricanes, um, you know, with the guys in Texas and Florida, we just didn't really hear a whole lot. I mean, did you see anything that – no. No, and the credit the credit issues we've seen have been episodic. Mm-hmm. Maybe here I'm based in Nashville, so here locally Capstar had issues in the first and second quarter, maybe going back last year with a few healthcare credits. But it's it's been more what you might call one offs. Um, Nathan, I'm a big proponent of watching the corporate bond market and what telegraphing that may say about credit. And then secondly, not to go off on a tangent, but would be BDCs in terms of how their credit books are evolving and how those books are being marked, whether one used the marks as being correct or not. And the corporate bond market continues to signal credit is uh, it's a it's a benign environment for the time being. If we went back, Nathan, if, if you and I were doing this in the fourth quarter, uh, well, for fourth quarter 2015 earnings, so we'd be doing this in, when about February 1 uh, of 2016, the bond market would be telling us there are emerging issues with high yield and levered loans that really began to sell off. Um, going back to late 14 and spreads widened, and then it intensified in late 15 and early 16. What started as issues in the energy sector, 
uh, started to broaden out a little bit into the more general leveraged loan and corporate bond market, high yield market. Um, but it, it, it sort of came to pass. And that is we had issues in the energy sector, but it didn't, it didn't spread. And since then energy is maybe not all right with the world, but a lot of the issues have been dealt with with the weaker companies having been restructured or having gone through bankruptcy. So I, so third quarter earnings, you, one steps back and says link quarter loan growth was pretty eh, um, although the year-over-year year was fine. Margins were up, particularly on a year-over-year year as the Fed's been bringing short rates up and the value of the deposits, their contribution to the margin has really started to increase. Um, and, and credit costs are low. So those are all classic cyclical trends for banks. The, the industry's always been cyclical and always will be. And the question will be, when does the credit cycle turn? And, boy, you just didn't see anything in 3Q that would say we're on the cusp of it. If I could ramble for one second longer, is the maybe the overlay on credit is the rhetorical question of what is the impact of liquidity sloshing around the globe, looking for places to go to generate income. And in the U.S., markets like commercial real estate have been beneficiaries. I might even argue distressed assets or dinked up assets have been beneficiaries and that assets are very well bid and meaning that if you're looking to sell, uh, whether it's a distressed portfolio or not, there are typically buyers. And if that's the case, credit losses are going to be minimized. And when that might change, uh, you know, I don't know. Fed's tightening here, but ECB continues to pump money into the system, Japan pumping money into the system, Swiss National Bank and the like. So this this may be a very elongated credit cycle to be determined, but in any event, it's to the benefit of the banks for the time being. Yeah, and, and you know, to your point there with liquidity sloshing around, I mean, even when we're tightening, we're still talking about you know, cost. Uh, the, the cost of credit is still really, really low. Uh, it's not like borrowing costs are going to skyrocket on, on anybody. And, 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 you know, and the other thing, too, on CRE, something that, you know, we've been talking to folks about, about where we are in the cycle. I mean, the fact that you have regulators actually enforcing that CRE concentration guidance that has been around since 06, but it wasn't really enforced that much in 06. Uh, you know, you definitely have bids for those assets, but that wasn't there in, in 06. And I'm not saying that that makes us infallible. But um, that's got to give a little bit more comfort if, if you want yeah. back to Clark 10 years, you know. Yeah, I, look, the, I, I certainly agree with that. And we have certainly seen banks come to the market to raise common equity or they raise sub-debt and then push the proceeds down to the bank as hard tier one capital at, at, down to the bank level to boost core capital to – manage the commercial real estate concentrations relative to the capital base. And that's, I think that's been a good thing and that's a governor. But Nathan, liquidity is fickle and it, it can, you know, when you don't need it, whether we're talking about a capital raise or you're selling a, a commercial real estate property in a hot market, when you don't have to have it, 
it's usually plentiful. And then in markets like 2008 and, and 2009, when you got to have it, um, it's 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 either prohibitively expensive or not available. Um, you know, we had a 200-year flood, so I, th- that would argue that I think that we won't see anything like that for a long time to go. But the credit cycle hasn't been repealed. And, Nathan, I always remember uh, in terms of to the extent we're trying to put governors for lending around commercial real estate is John Delaney, who's now in Congress and used to be CEO of Capital Source that PacWest bought a few years ago. I always was struck by a comment he made to me in, I think it was the summer of 2010, at his office, and he was looking back, and uh, they had uh, huge losses, and particularly in their real estate-related loan portfolio. And he said, I'm paraphrasing, he said, I I thought we had 30% equity in these deals, meaning 30% equity in front of cap source as a lender. And he said, we ended up with 30% losses. So uh, things look fine now, but in any event, the cycle will turn one day. What will be the catalyst? You know, historically, it's been rising rates. Um, We'll see this time. I'm I'm in the camp. The Fed can't do that much with the 10-year around 250, uh, 240, 250. It, they can't push rates up that much, but who knows? It'd be hard to do it without inverting the curve with, with an anchor exactly. kind of where it is. Yeah. It, exactly. Well, and, and, you know, and that's kind of why we're spending more time these days. You know, you mentioned liquidity. We're, we're spending more time on, on, on the liquidity uh, discussion and just what, what is the cost of that liquidity? I mean, people are still pretty flush. Loan-to-deposit ratios are, are low still, um, but, but they are but creeping, creeping up, up. But creeping up. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I felt like this quarter, I, I don't know what your take was, but, you know, we've been saying, you know, what will happen to deposits, what will happen to deposits. I felt like we finally got to see some movement. I mean, nothing crazy. Betas are still pretty low. You know, my math showed around 24% for, for the big banks. But, I mean, you know, that's up from about – 18 if you did the trailing 12 months uh, coming through right. uh, Q2. So, I mean, I feel like we're starting to see that movement. Did, any, any surprises there for you? Do you feel like management teams are ready for that? Yeah, No, I, I think that I, that's consistent with what I've seen, which you just referenced. It, at some point, so the longer this economy keeps let's say, so GDP, what was the number today? 3%. Now, that's within the context of loans not growing much this past quarter, and it's loan growth that creates pressure to bring in incremental deposits. Um, but let's say the economy, a new one rate for the next few years is 3%, and loan growth picks back up. As the deposit betas are going to have to start trending up as the loan deposit ratios begin to tighten. You know, is there going to be a tipping point that's going to take it from 24% uh, to, to 75, 80% beta. I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it as a, you know, if, if one is, has excess cash laying around, um, you know, getting paid 50 basis points on it versus 85. It's, you know, my perspective, my throwaway comment is who cares? Uh, the journal had a good article yesterday about the, the high net worth clients at the banks that are that, that know what's going on with the with rates with the short end of the curve and 
and banks and uh, the Merrills and the Morgan Stanleys are having to be a little bit more aggressive in, in pricing for funds that are laying around. But, uh, it, it, but in any event, I think it grinds higher. I doubt there's a tipping point. But, Nathan, look, if, if uh, it looks like they're probably going to hike rates in December, particularly with the move in the 10-year from 210, 220, 60 days ago to 240, 250, assuming that holds, the curve is steepened out and they can nudge the short end up a little bit more. So they, they raise again, so maybe if we're having this conversation in 90 days, maybe the deposit beta goes to 35%. But what if they can't? raise next year or they just raise one more time. So I, 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 I don't think it's going to radically change unless loan growth really picks up and, and then there's going to be some pressure to bring in incremental funding. You know, we, we kind of saw that, that too where, you know, you see the high net worth clients kind of leading, leading uh, the, the charge and the commercial clients too. But, you know, the banks are sort of maintaining. You haven't really seen – a big push uh, from their retail customers. You mentioned B of A. You know they talked about that uh, a lot on, on on their call. And and to the point about you know what what pushes obviously rates uh, will will move it higher. I think your your point on loan growth is is spot on. I mean the other one that that I feel like is a wild card. You know we don't see the cycle turning, but clearly if and when it does turn then liquidity is going to become more prized because you'll see some guys come come stress for liquidity. Um, so, you know, it's sort of a question. Do rates go high enough first <laughs> to, to push betas back to normal levels, or do we actually get a turn? Uh, or yeah. do those two things coincide? Yeah, is it a combination? That's right. That's right. Um, and, and both kind of seem, you know, if I had to guess with the crystal ball, both seem, you know, at least – two years from now. It doesn't seem like it's a 12-month thing right now uh, with, with anything anybody is showing. I, I don't know if you agree with that statement. I, I, I agree that this has been a it, – it, the whole the, – the slow growth economy, um, loan growth, particularly 1560, I suppose, was, was uh, maybe better than what one would expect in, quote, a 2% economy. But in any event, this has been a relatively slow-moving train as it relates to – Bank balance sheets generally, maybe the tempo picks up, uh, but uh, looking at three Q, you wouldn't necessarily draw that conclusion. You know, on, on loan growth, it, it was kind of kind of weak in Q3, and, and a lot of banks this year have have blamed a lot of it on uncertainty out of Washington. Uh, the, it's definitely an uncertain environment, and and probably volatile for for lack of a better word, if you talk about policy. Uh, you know, how much credence, though, do you, do you put into that statement? I mean, do you think that there is pent-up demand sitting out there that if we have more clarity on, I don't know, some of the big topics, tax reform, reg reform, things like that, do, do you feel that? Or, I mean, are we actually just not seeing the economic growth? Well, I, you know, Nathan, commercial real estate growth the last few years has been pretty good. And just generally speaking, I, you know, you're based in Charlotte. That city's doing well. Um, Say so loans have banks have those who are predisposed to commercial real estate lending have at least until recently had probably more on their plate than they could say grace over. Um, you know, CNI has 
sort of ebbed and flowed and maybe ebbed a little bit this past quarter, but it has been on an uptrend. So I think if the policies are put in place that encourage economic growth, we'll see a pickup in CapEx spending, and that will be good for commercial loan growth, this general C&I. Um, you know, maybe CRE's got to go through a little bit of consolidation. Multifamily has had a lot of capital thrown at it over the last five, six years or since the recession, and multifamily looks like it's got plenty of capacity, so that's probably an area that slows. Um, you know, hotels, same issue there, that slows. Home construction, C&D for construction lending, Actually, I, assuming the, the longer end of the curve doesn't move up too much, that looks like we've got a good runway. I, and then on the consumer side, eh, uh, the large banks are still sort of working their home equity books down a little. I think the system seems to have its fill of indirect auto now. So I'm, I'm, I hear what you're saying on policy. Um, I think it's going to have to get the economy hotter for it to really drive a material improvement in loan growth because I think these portfolios have been growing at different rates uh, based on demand. And I, uh, it just it seems like at this point it will be a pickup in C&I if CapEx comes through and assuming long rates don't go up, the C&D side related to resi construction is good and maybe gets better at least in the Sun Belt. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's still population growth. You mentioned Charlotte. It seems pretty white hot here right now. And, and you know, the only thing we keep hearing. Same thing in Nashville. And, and all we hear is lack of supply, you know, in terms of housing. Yep, yep. Um, uh, yep. So, or lots. Right, right, right. And, and that's got to be, you know, that's got to be a little bit of tailwind, at least in that segment. Uh, you know, any read through in terms of, uh, of of where we ended up in Q3 and sort of what that could mean for M&A broadly for, for the group. So, you know, we still don't have great loan growth. We've got pieces, as we just talked about, pockets. Um, we're not seeing severe funding pressures, rising cost. But, I mean, that, that would be something that would support more deals in my mind. Uh, uh, but you could still – purchasing growth might actually, you know – be a quicker way or easier way to grow, uh, absent, of course, the obvious execution risks. But and, yeah. and, and, and credit, you're still not buying problems. Um, so, I mean, does that, you know, does all that line up that we're about the same, a little better? Um, I, I, I think, Nathan, the, the environment for M&A in the last 30, 45 days has become easier because the stocks have moved up. Mm-hmm. And I don't have my reference in front of me of what uh, the various SNL indices have done over the last uh, 60 days or so. But if if we look at the stocks, particularly the small cap index, but even the mid and the large, is after the election, I thought a year ago this time last year, particularly maybe even August, September of 16, the stocks were starting to get not not cheap, but moderately priced, um, we get the election, and then over the next 30, 45 days, the sector is completely revalued up to pick a number up uh, three, three-and-a-half multiples on earnings. I'm not a big 
price and tangible book guy. It's, to me, it's all about earnings. Um, and and then the stocks drifted up towards uh, peak around March one, and some, somewhere along in there, the efforts to repeal the Affordable Care Act failed, and then questions started to emerge about the whole um, uh, change that the administration was uh, trying to bring in terms of policy into question. And the stocks, Nathan, started to um, lose altitude from March 1 through, let's say, early September. And that's a much tougher deal environment to negotiate an exchange ratio when when we're talking about stock swaps, it's it's a lot easier to do when your stock is trending higher or at a 52-week higher. High, uh, sadly, many many sellers, not all, but many are, and certainly their boards are focused on absolute price as opposed to relative value. And since stocks have popped back up, it's a much easier environment to negotiate a transaction. You know, if I'm trading at at 60 today and in uh, August 1, I was at, at 51 or, you know, whatever the numbers are. I think on the policy side, and so as it relates to 3Q earnings, no, no emerging issues. If there are questions on emerging credit, that is a wet blanket on M&A. There's a saying in the deal business that also applies to one's personal life, I think, and that is don't let other people's problems become your problems. And when there are emerging credit issues, most buyers are just going to say no. Um, so the, the other policy issue as it relates to M&A and not so much 3Q, though, is, is what happens on tax rates. So if I do a stock swap and I'm selling my bank, and let's forget about the muni portfolio and aspects of my revenue stream that, that I've got uh, tax-free income, is I'm paying the marginal rate at 35%. And whether the rate's going to be 20 25% or this all falls on its face and it stays 35%, if I swap into someone else's stock, they've got the same issue on what, what their tax rate is. So it's a, a uh, you know, I'm just swapping from one piece of, uh, from one security to another that has the same tax regime. If I'm selling for cash, I want cash. I think the calculus is different both for buyer and seller because I'm taking cash. If I'm the buyer and the go forward tax rate is 25%, um, you know, all else equal or 20%, I'm going to get a higher value. And if it's 35%, well, it's a lower value. So I, if tax reform, lower tax rates occur, I think it will also help M&A in that the, uh, the sellers, there's clarity on what the, what, the, what the tax rate is and what the earning power is of the seller. Sure, sure. And, and, and uncertainty is not the friend of M&A, and certainty, you know, that, that opposite must be true, right, that, that, that it, it, would, it would only help. And, and, and to your point, too, going back about, you know, where the group is trading, I've been sort of struck this year with how much of a correlation you've seen with the 10-year. You know, you mentioned sort of peaking in March. Yeah. I mean, it hits 2.6, we're near the peak, comes back down, now we're back up. So if you can tell yeah. me where it goes, I might feel better about where well, the group goes. You know, no, you, you can turn on Bloomberg or 
CNBC or read something I've written or whatever, and there's there are plenty of opinions on what tomorrow holds, but no one knows. I, you know, I think one thing on the on the longer end of the curve, Nathan, is part of it's a function of what's going on elsewhere in the world. So if there's an expectation that the ECB is going to stop printing money and get away from negative rates, that sort of thing, uh, you know, German yields go up, so our yields tend to go up, and and then vice versa. The other would be just simply about having the new administration's policies enacted to the extent they're pro-growth. I think the moniker we've used in the market is the inflation trade. And, you know, the economy runs hotter, you know, therefore rates go up and, and if rates go up, NIMS go up, that sort of thing. So yeah, I agree with you. The groups has, has very much been correlated with the 10 year, but I think the 10 year may be more of a proxy for do all these things that the business community wants to come to fruition happen? I, you know, having said that, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm older than you, and I got started in another era. I, I think the valuations are pretty sporty, and the um, the uh, uh, I did pencil this in for the SNL indices, the large cap, and this is on trailing earnings. I know everyone looks at forward earnings, but you know, at least with trailing, you know what you've got, and we don't know what the tax rate is. But the large caps at 15 and a half, eh, you know, that's pretty close to the 20-year average that I've got at 15 times. But the mid and small, um, call it uh, 19 and 21 times, and their long-term average is about 17 times. So maybe put in a 20 20 25% tax rate, and maybe that reduces the, the multiple to the long-term average. Um, uh, you know, absent that, uh, the stock seem, valuation seem kind of sporty to me. Um, but, uh, you know, again, who knows what tomorrow holds and if the economy is going to grow three, three and a half percent a year and rates stay a little, they're higher but don't go up much, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's an appropriate multiple. But one typically makes more money in these stocks when, when the multiples are cheap and we're earlier in their, in the economic cycle. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed that, uh, that we will get higher rates and stronger growth. Uh, <laughs> certainly more fun to have good things than bad. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, but the sector, the sector is, there's probably a lot more to talk about when the, when the credit uh, cycle is starting to turn down, but that's not where we are yet. <laughs> no, and and we'll always have we'll always have that moment, unfortunately. So we'll have we'll have our time at some point. Well, I think I think that's all the time we have today. But uh, thanks so much, Jeff, for all the all the insight. 